The scripture reading that's selected today is from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Again, John 6, 1 through 14. On the Bibles provided in the pew, it's page 943, 943. I'll be reading from the American Standard Version. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they beheld the signs that he did to them that were sick. And Jesus went up into the mountains, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was his hand. And Jesus therefore lifted up his eyes, and seeing that a great multitude cometh unto him, said to Philip, Whence are we to buy bread that these may eat? And he said this to prove himself, for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered and said, Two hundred shillings worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one may have even a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here who hath five barley loaves and two fishes. But what is that among so many? And Jesus said, Make the people sit down, that there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, and they numbered about 5,000. Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to them that were seated. And likewise also the fishes, as much as would go around. And when they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the broken pieces that remain over that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves, which remained over unto them that had eaten. And when therefore the people saw the sign which he did, they said, This is of a truth the prophet that cometh into the world. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, thank you again for being with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We had a beautiful reading and a wonderful story out of God's Word that uh, we can learn a lot from, and we'll get into in just a few minutes. And we want to encourage you, uh, just as we're studying here about the King in the Gospel of John, we want to encourage you to come to our Bible classes following this, and our adult classes are going to also be studying about the King and we'll be studying from the Gospel of Matthew. So we hope that you'll join us. If you haven't already made your plans to be at a class, we'd love to have you in a class. It is the time of year that has become very, very special to many of us uh, through the years by one simple exercise. And if you've never done this, you're probably going to say, wow, he's really exaggerating. I'm really not exaggerating. What are you thankful for? Gratitude is important year-round, and so we should never just reduce gratitude to the month of Thanksgiving is found in. But yet, it is wonderful for us to use the opportunity to spur us on to say, let me stop and count my blessings. What if beginning tomorrow, you began each day to make a list of 10 things that you were thankful for, and don't duplicate anything on the following day's list? You realize that by the time Thanksgiving came around, you'd have over a hundred things listed for which you're thankful. It helps us be humble. It helps us remember that all good gifts are from God. It helps us to be content. 
It helps us to not take things for granted. And you got enough time out front right now that if you decide to do that, you might even want to call those that are coming over to your house for Thanksgiving and tell them to start their list and bring it with them. And for many of us here at Mount Juliet, that has become a tradition in our families where between the meal and dessert, when you're really too full to eat dessert anyway, everybody goes around and reads their list. And what a it'll be the best part of Thanksgiving, I assure you of that. And, uh, and then after you do that, you can enjoy a good dessert together. But I want to encourage you, at least make your list. And uh, now is a good time uh, to start with that. We have our young people at our retreat, our fall retreat. A great crowd, a great topic. And, and uh, Philip and Jody are doing a great job leading that. And we're thankful for those two men. We're thankful for our young people. And we pray for their safe retreat trip return uh, in, in just a few minutes. A little girl was being kept by her father. Little boy was too. Mom was at the grocery store. The little boy was about four and as the father was engrossed in the news, the little boy was just playing with his toys. The little girl was only about a year and a half old. She had her new favorite toy that she was playing with. It was her tea set. She loved serving her dad tea. And so he was engrossed in, in the news and would just, every time she'd bring a cup, he would sip down the, of course it wasn't tea, it was water. He would just sip it down and hand the cup back. And she was just thrilled that he was participating in the tea party with her. And he was just continually watching the news. And so much so that when mom came back home, he really didn't even notice she was home. And she watched what was going on. She watched him sip down that cup and then she watched the little girl go down the hallway. And finally, she said, hey, honey. She said, hey. She said, um, I just want to ask you, has it ever dawned on you the only source that a one-and-a-half-year-old can find of water? His eyes brightened big when he realized he'd been drinking out of the toilet. You know, the, the, source, the source makes all of the difference. Do you realize that as we're studying the, the Gospel of John, and specifically the signs that are recorded in the Gospel of John, that John tells us those signs are recorded, that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and believing that we would have life in His name. You see, those signs are so powerful because we realize if they were taken back to the source of a human being, they would not be possible. In other words, each one of these, you go back and you say, who could do that? And the people gathered then, and then those of us that read it today, we all conclude the same thing. Man can't do that. Today we're studying a powerful miracle where, where Jesus takes one lunch and he feeds 5,000 people. It doesn't take very long before you say, that's power. No human being could do that. That's right. But look at the power that Jesus had. Can you imagine, just, just thinking in, in today's terms, what if you saw a contractor back up to a vacant lot, and he had just a few building supplies in his pickup, and you say to him, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to build a mansion. <laughs> really, you're going to build a mansion. When are the supplies going to be delivered? I'm just going to use these in my truck right here. Really, and you just kind of look down the road, and when you turn around 30 seconds later, there's a mansion there. The supplies are gone. You say, how did that happen? And see, you conclude two things immediately. 
There, was not, there were not enough resources to build that mansion and there was not enough time to build that mansion. Do you realize that all the human beings there as eyewitnesses watching that, they could conclude very quickly, Jesus did not have enough resources to make lunch for 5,000 plus people. There also wasn't enough time for that lunch to be made. That's why it was a miracle. A miracle that proves very, very powerful things. But have you stopped to think about just really how powerful this miracle must have been? Oh, I know it might be kind of dangerous to compare one against another because they're all miraculous. But do you realize this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels unless we want to count the resurrection of Jesus as a miracle, and then that would be the second recorded in all four Gospels. So then we pause and say, why? Out of the probably hundreds or thousands of miracles that Jesus did while he was on this earth, why was this the one that was recorded in all four? I believe one was the scope of the miracle. There were 5,000, not just witnesses, there were 5,000 participants in this. And let me go ahead and throw this out so that if you hear me say a different number later, we, we won't be confusing each other here. All four Gospels point out the fact that there were 5,000 men. The Jewish custom for counting a crowd was oftentimes to count the head of the home. And what they would do, in essence, they would count families. And so in, in our language today, we would say there were 5,000 families there. Now, how many children? We don't know. Do you want to say there was one child per, per man and woman there? Was there one woman per man there? If so, that's immediately 15,000. But in that day and time, there usually would have been a lot more than one child per family. So, so a lot of scholars and those that study this, they very quickly throw out the number 20,000 plus. And so whether Jesus was, was feeding 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 do you realize what we have here are not just eyewitnesses to this? Where that day, 15 or 20,000 people would have left and said, hey, you wouldn't believe what I saw today. They would have left and said, you wouldn't believe the meal that I have eaten today. Let me tell you how delicious it was, but more than that, let me tell you the source of this meal. But that might not be the reason this is recorded in all four Gospels. You see, when we take John the sixth chapter as a whole, what we see is the powerful work of the miracle, but then beginning in verse 27, are you ready for this? 27 all the way down to verse 71 is the teaching that Jesus does the next day about the bread of life where he ties it directly back to the miracle that we're studying right now. In other words, probably the reason that this is recorded in all four Gospels is because Jesus did some of the most powerful teaching of all the Galilean ministry. As a matter of fact, it was at this time that Jesus' teachings, according to the multitude following him, they hear the teachings, and you remember when they say, this is a hard saying, and the scripture says that those disciples turned away from Jesus and never followed him again. This was the very last aspect of Jesus' Galilean ministry. In other words, it was a huge transition. From here, as the multitude leaves Jesus, he turns and he goes elsewhere to do ministry. Why did they leave? 
Because on one day, he performed a miracle that gave them all bread. And on the next day, he challenged them to say, are you following me only for the bread that is or are you going to follow me allowing me to be the bread of life, the one who sustains you spiritually? This morning I regret, but we do not have time to cover both the miracle and the teaching. But we will cover the teaching just a little later. But let's notice the miracle this morning that must have been so powerful to observe and even take part in. In verse 1, John the 6th chapter, he says, After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. What does he mean after these things? Remember that John did that same thing in chapter 5. It's a way to say there's not an exact measure of time that I'm referring to. I'm just telling you that there are some things that have taken place since the last thing that I've recorded. As a matter of fact, there were a lot of things that took place since the last time that, that John recorded. And when we read the other Gospels, we get insight to what some of them were. You remember the first time that, that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles on their first mission? They had just gotten back from that right before this. And then another huge factor was John the Baptist had not only been arrested, but he had just been beheaded. And now these things are taking place. So when he says, after these things, no doubt some of that is stirring in the environment. It's heavy on the minds and the heart of the apostles and Jesus. And so with those things in mind, we go into the sixth chapter in verse two. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Now some of you, your translation may read a little bit different and probably some of the other translations are a little more clear of really what was happening day in and day out. For example, the New American Standard would say it this way and gives us a little more clarity. It would say a great multitude was following him because of the signs. Do you see the difference? In other words, at this point in Jesus' ministry, especially the Galilean ministry, at this point in his ministry, it wasn't that they thought Jesus was going to perform a miracle that day, and so they just happened to show up. What John is saying is Jesus is performing so many miracles that the multitude is following him. And, and this might be too strong to say, but it's almost like they're following him day in and day out. It's almost like they're showing up everywhere he is just to see more miracles. And so the multitude has grown greatly. And they're following him, he clearly says in verse 2, because of the miracles. But you remember, the apostles have just returned back. So that's probably why we read in verse 3, and Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And Luke tells us that the reason he took the apostles up on the mountain was they wanted some privacy with them. You know how it is when you, you have people you love, you're the closest to, and they've been away, and now they're at home, and you think to yourself, hey, you know, the crowd has been coming every day. Let's go up into this private place on the mountain. Maybe no one will know we're there, and we can spend some time, and, and you can tell me about your missionary trips that you were on. Well, it didn't go exactly as planned because look in verse 5. Then they've gone up on that mountain and Jesus lifted up his eyes seeing a great multitude coming toward him. Pause there. What would be your reaction? I don't want to tell you what I think my reaction would be. You might think a lot less of me. But, you know, there, there are those times where you just feel like we need to get away. 
There are those times where you just feel like, you know, the, the, the different people in my life, they have asked so much of me day in and day out. You can imagine the human nature would have been kind of to take that deep sigh, maybe even roll your eyes a little bit, maybe even say, they found us here? When are they going to give us a break? That wasn't at all Jesus' reaction. We've got to go to Luke's account to see the reaction, but if you want to turn over to Luke, the ninth chapter, I'd like for you to notice in verse 10 and 11 of Luke, the ninth chapter. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the apostles, when they had returned, that's the missionary trip, told him all that they had done. He took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, see, they found out, aha, we know where they are. They followed him. And he, what? He rolled his eye. No, he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And then verse 12 begins, when the day began to wear away. What did he do? He went there to spend some time privately. He saw the multitude coming and he immediately turned to the multitude and he spent the day teaching them about the kingdom of God. Mark 1 and 15, we know what he taught when he taught the kingdom of God. He taught them to repent and believe in the gospel. And so he would have spent the day urging them to repent, urging them to believe in the gospel. But Luke also tells us there, he also spent the day healing them. They brought their, their hurt and their pain to Jesus. They brought elements in their life that no one on earth had been able to help previously. And Jesus was the only one that could help. And Jesus seemed to be very glad to help them. As a matter of fact, we don't need to take for granted that phrase in 12 when it says, and the day wore on. How would you like it if the preacher stood up this day and began to preach for a little while and, and after 30 minutes or so, it went on for another hour and it went on for another hour and it went on for another hour and, and before long, the day began to wear away. I can't help but smile and think a little bit. You see there in the, the sixth chapter in verse five when it says, Philip, uh, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and uh, he said, seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, keep in mind, each of the Gospels gives us different details. Before Jesus asked this, Luke's account tells us that it was the disciples that first came to Jesus and said, hey, the day is wearing away and we're in a deserted place and the people need a place to go to eat and to sleep. Now, I, I can't help but wonder, were the disciples or the apostles, were they speaking for the disciples or were they speaking for themselves? You know, I, I just would assure you that, that the 5,000 gathered were not the only ones hungry at that moment. You can imagine that, that the apostles are thinking, wow, we've been in this deserted place for a while and the sun looks like it's about ready to set. I'd like for us to get back to town so we can get something to eat. And it's there that Jesus is going to use that situation to teach the apostles and any of the disciples that are willing to learn a valuable, valuable lesson. And so he asked, he asked Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? And notice verse 6. 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Where, where are we going to be able to find a supply to feed 5,000 families? You see, he was testing him. You know what Jesus would have liked for Philip to do at this point? He would like for him to go on back in just his short memory. It wasn't that long ago that Philip had been called, and just a few days after he had been called to be a disciple, you remember Jesus turned over a hundred gallons of water into wine immediately. Oh, this is the man that can do great things. What had he been doing that very day? That very day that the day had drawn on and the sun was about set, he had been healing people. You would think that probably at some point Philip would say, you know, there's nothing as humans we can do, but God, we know, or Jesus, we know the power you have. We know that you are God. We know that you can take care of this. But isn't it interesting that immediately his mind remained on the human level of calculations. Look, look at the very next verse, verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little. Now denarii was a day's wage. And so he's bringing out a pretty significant sum of money just in topic. He's not bringing out of his pocket. They don't have that kind of money in their pocket. But he's saying, in other words, if we even had two-thirds of an annual salary we wouldn't have even close to enough money to give everybody just a little piece of bread. Jesus, when you're asking us, where are we going to go to buy this, even if there was a source, you ever tried to get catering last minute? You ever tried to get catering for 5,000 families last minute? You see, even if there was a source, where are we going to get the money to bring in food for 5,000 families? Well, Andrew is a part of this also. And so he comes up with something in verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? In other words, there's been some looking around. Jesus apparently is going to encourage us to feed these people. Previously, we have encouraged Jesus, send them away. And so now we're realizing how great the need is. 200 denarii wouldn't even come close. And then Philip says, now we realize how little the resources that are available Okay, we've been looking around. How much food have we come up with? We've come up with one little boy's lunch. And loafing in that day, talking about one boy's lunch, wasn't like we think of loaves that are baked up. It was little thin cakes. Little round thin cakes would have been what he was talking about. And so there's these five little cakes of bread with two little fish that he would have sliced up and put a little bit of fish on each cake, and that would have been the little boy's lunch. And so these two answers, Phillips is saying, do you realize how great the need is? Andrews is saying, do you realize how little we have? And so I guess they would have expected Jesus at that time to say, dismiss the people. 
Let them, let them get back somewhere so that they can find something to eat because we just simply are never going to be able to feed these people. But instead, look at verse 10. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Luke makes it very clear. He commanded the disciples to command the people to sit down. And they sat down in groups of 50. They sat down there because there was much grass. So the men sat down in about 5,000. Have you ever tried to tell people to do things. It's interesting to me when we read through Scripture just how things seem so simple. You know, you can imagine these 12 apostles. At this point, they have no idea how these people are going to be fed. They've been urging Jesus, we need to let the people go. Then they made a very good and strong case for why we need to let the people go. It would take a lot more money than any of us have any access to. We have no resources to go and obtain this amount of food. And when we look and see what we have, what we have is so small. And so they're ready for Jesus to say, let the people go. And instead, Jesus looks at them and says, you tell the people to sit down in groups of 50. Wow. That took a measure of faith in and of itself. Are we about to be embarrassed here? Why are we telling the people to linger when we need to tell the people to be going on their way? And then notice how simply the miracle is recorded. Just because the simplicity of the recording doesn't mean that it is, does not have great power. Look at John 6 and 11. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, see there's always the giving of thanks before food with Jesus' dealings on this earth. He gave thanks what was he giving thanks for? Do you think he was giving thanks for one little boy's meal? Or do you think he was giving thanks for the fact that over 5,000 5, families were about to enjoy a meal? Remember, he knew what he was about to do. And so he's giving thanks for, for 5,000 families' meals here. And he distributed them. There's the miracle right there. He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted... Now that's interesting when you go back and you compare verse 7 where, where Philip had said, well, even 200 denarii, that would not be sufficient. But yet when Jesus is involved, it is as much as they wanted. When did the miracle take place? Did the miracle take place when, when he said the prayer and he broke it? Did, did bread just start popping up everywhere? Or was it when he handed it to the disciples and the disciples went around and began passing it to a group of 50 and every time they would hand a piece of bread, it would multiply in the next person's hand and the next person would hand that, that multiplied bread one loaf to the person beside them and it would multiply in their hand and it would go around. You see, it's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Because no matter how it really happened, all of us would draw the same conclusion. Human beings can't make that happen. You see, it's this simple. If you can logically explain what happened, it wasn't a miracle. And so the power of Jesus in this, where, where sometime after the prayer and during the distribution, there began to be a multiplication that can't be explained except to say, what a miracle. What a miracle. Well, how great was this miracle? Everybody had all they wanted to eat. It wasn't just everybody had a little bit. Everybody had as much as they wanted. Look at verse 12. They were filled. They didn't just eat a little bit. They were filled. This is a big buffet. He said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 
12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over for those who had eaten. So not only were they filled, but there was a sufficient amount that there was 12 baskets of leftovers whenever previously all there was was a little boy's lunch. The need was so great, the resources were so little, what are we going to do? We wouldn't even be sufficient if we had great resources. And Jesus says, let me have a hand in this. Bring me the little boy's lunch. Watch everybody eat. Watch everybody eat all they want. Watch everybody eat all they want and have leftovers. And when this was recorded in the first century, in all four Gospels, there would have been those 5,000 families reading this. And some of the great proofs that the Bible is true, because there would have been an uprising at that time where they would have said, I was there, and, and that miracle didn't take place. They began to pass it around, and, and there wasn't enough food except for just a couple of people. Can you imagine, can you imagine children holding up a scroll and can you imagine them reading the Gospels and saying, my grandfather, he was one of those. He still talks to this day about that day that, that Jesus fed 5,000. So what are we to learn here? Number one, Jesus wanted Philip to think of God's power instead of man's limitation. Philip failed the test. He only thought of man's limitation. Number two, Philip and Andrew's calculations omitted the great multiplier, Jesus Christ. I think about an old scholar who said, "'Twas springtime when he blessed the bread and harvest when he break it." But then finally, little is much when God is in it. What lessons? If you're involved in mission work, I want to ask you some difficult questions as we close this morning. And you know that there's a work that needs to be done. Is your first thought always, look at the great resources and we don't have them. If you're involved in a ministry today, I want to ask you, is your ministry only as large as what men can do it? Because any time you really think about your ministry, you never think about what God could do. You always limit it to only what you can do and the people around you. Listen, I really believe that one of the reasons why there's not as many Christians around the world today is because we tend to act like Philip and Andrew in almost everything we set out to do. The first thing we say is look what it'll cost and look how little we have. And we never put into play the great multiplier. Jesus can take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people. And he is still as much alive today as he was then. And he is still as powerful today as he was then. And it is not the limitation of God that holds us back from doing greater things. It's our limitations and how we approach God. Do you ever pray this way? Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, 
According to what? The power that works in us. He'll always work through us. The little boy had to give his lunch before this great deed could be done. We have to bring our little bit for God to take it as a seed and do great things. Do we pray as Paul prayed there? Do we pray in faith as Paul prayed there? Believing that through us, God can do amazing things. What I learned today, number one, I learned that Jesus' great miracle was after an interruption in his day. Maybe I need to look a little bit differently at interruptions. Number two, man's limitations are real. God's power is real. Which will we see? Number three, do we act in faith, participate in things so big they couldn't succeed without God? We're about to offer something that's so big, only God would have to be involved in it. We're about to offer an invitation that would say to you, your sins can be forgiven. And there's no man here that can forgive your sins eternally. But God can. And He promises that He'll do it. If you've never come to Him, He promises that in the waters of baptism, He will wash away our sins. Maybe you've already come to Him and been baptized, but you left and, and you're ready to repent of sins and confess sins and pray forgiveness and He will do it. Let's not take that for granted. If you'll come back tonight, tonight we're going to look at some of those last verses in John the 6th chapter and we're going to see the real power of this story is that He is the bread of life. He is the only one that can sustain us. If we can help you take steps closer to Jesus this morning, come.